Welcome to another edition of the Grizzden Pod. I'm your host, Will Walker. We have a trade deadline primer episode today with guest Matt Herdlicka. If you don't already subscribe to Matt's Patreon page, it is essential reading as a Grizzlies fan, and you need to go do that yesterday. You can also follow him on Twitter at the Real Herdlicka. That's H R D L I C K A. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to give a shout out to Grizzden.com. John Morant is an all-star starter, and we have got some shirts ready to celebrate that. So go to Grizzden.com and grab yourself an all-star shirt to celebrate John Morant's selection. Uh, we've got a lot of expectations here for this Grizzlies team, especially coming off. Such a great stretch in the last couple of months. And Matt is here to unpack all that and get us ready for what to expect in just a week's time. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And don't forget to visit grizzden.com. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. Um, he is probably the most referenced uh, writer that we talk about on this podcast. Uh, we are big fans of this guy. He's Matt Herdlicka. He writes about the Grizzlies and other things on his Patreon page. He has been uh, with us before, actually about a year ago, around the time of the trade deadline. It's hopefully becoming now an annual tradition to have him on. And most importantly, he is confirmed not a member of NBA Nerd Twitter Groupthink. Matt, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's a, it's a brand new day. I thought, you know, all my takes were just uh, all the takes of all the other nerds, but I guess <laughs> I have a little bit of free thought going on. So, And we'll get yeah, into thanks it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll get into that um, because you published a piece today specifically on DeAnthony Melton, and I w- we'll definitely get into um, some Melton talk here shortly when we get into trades, but I just wanted to start uh, at the top, and I'm going to leave this question uh, intentionally open-ended what have you thought about the grizzly season so far it's just been kind of wild how like it seemingly doesn't matter who plays they're just good all the time um i will admit going into the season i i was really high on this team i thought they were going to be really good like their ceiling i thought was going to be like low 50s and they came out of the gate low 50s wins they came out of the gate slow Defense was abysmal early on, and I, I honestly was – I thought they were still good, but I was looking at some things, you know, kind of like, I don't I don't know how this defense – this defense should be better. Why is it not good? It kind of freaked me out. And I was really worried that, you know, they got a lemon with Steven Adams or, he, like, he had some lingering issues that were just going to prevent his um, – I think a lot of it was just he wasn't as mobile um, due to some kind of – unspecified injury that never like truly truly came out um and it's just kind of after John Morant went down 
they suddenly every single guy on the team became awesome and they went like nine and one or something while he was out and you know he came back and they're still great and um i think the biggest thing is just outside of jaron and baines and jaws obvious leaps each each one of those three guys has made a leap um those are all obvious Brandon Clark returning to his rookie year form has been just tremendous. I mean, this team has so many ways to get a mobile big, the ball inside the paint on the move. And Brandon is really, really, I I've been meaning to write about him. Um, his ability to just move his body, to time up his runs, to change direction in midair has been, he's a bucket within five feet of the rim. It does not matter who's around him. He's a bucket. Um, and that's given the Grizzlies an out for, like, these possessions where they don't have a lot. They can just go to a pick and roll with either Ja or Bain and Clark, and they're going to get something, something decent. Um, so, I mean, my, my general impression is after a slow start, the team is about – I mean, they're really good, and it's kind of – a we got here a weird way, but it's uh, it's about what I expected. I mean, the end is. I mean, they're they're better than I expected, but I thought they were going to be really good, and and they're be- they're like way better than I thought they were. For context, the Grizzlies are thirty six and eighteen. We're recording this on Thursday night. Last night, the Grizzlies defeated the Knicks uh, in Madison Square Garden. They're third in the West. I believe they have a four game lead on the Jazz. I might be wrong on that. Um, and there's about six games left until the all-star break here. And yeah, Brandon Clark, that was, that was a huge point on our last podcast, actually talking about his, uh, return to form, especially on a team that gets a ton of deflections and plays a lot in Mm -hmm. transition, uh, having a big who is honestly just that quick, that mobile and that bouncy. I mean, it's just, not only is it exciting basketball, but you're, you're seeing how it can actually contribute to winning Whereas last year there were some concerns with his uh, seeming regression. But yeah, Brandon Clark, that's been a huge one. And then, like you said, the leaps with Jod, Jaron, and Bain. Uh, I have a question here from Ty, who is unable to join us, but he wanted to know what your thoughts were regarding uh, Jaron at the five and, and how that's looked. Um, specifically, you know, I would say in closing lineups, we've seen some of the effects there, and then mm-hmm. Jaron's play on the defensive end. But what have you thought about? Jaron at the five and how that could inform how the team moves forward, building around that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the future. Jaron at the five is the future. His, he, we all sort of saw this coming his fresh or his rookie year, not his freshman, his rookie (laughs) year. And he's kind of, you know, he, especially his sophomore year when, or sophomore year, his second year was jaw got, got here. And he really kind of seems we got to those Jaron Clark front courts late in games. Um, and it just seemed like, okay, it's a matter of time. He'll get his body, you know, into a place where he can take the pounding. I mean, if anything, the, the, the big deterrent for moving to this full time is not any kind of skill set. It's just, do you want this? However young, I don't know. I, don't, I can't recall his age. He's like 21, 22, something like that. Do you want a guy that young taking this pounding, especially, you know, we've almost kind of left the foul trouble in the rearview mirror. He's just really good at 
Um, not, I mean, he just has more control over his body, like across the board. He doesn't leave his his lower body out there. He jumps away from, you know, ball handlers. He, he's he's the second guy in the air. Like he's never leaping first. Yeah. He just knows I'm the biggest guy. I'll just wait for him to jump and then I can jump next once I know where he's jumping. And he's athletic enough to change his angle of his jumping and use his long arms. I mean, it's there. It's all there. It's just a question of do we, you, you would think we need some kind of rugged big on the roster to, you know, spell him and to take some of the, I don't know if we want to go into the playoffs with, you know, matched up against the nuggets and Jaron being our only center sized guy. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's what we want. Um, but, you know, going forward, I think that's probably, I don't know how far into the future we're going to leap before that's, you know, basically the main identity of this team, but, I've been saying it since the beginning of the year that the future of the team is Ja, Bain, and Jaron with two six foot nine wings in between those guys. And like almost nothing else matters around that. If you can get to that template, especially if those two six foot nine guys can shoot, then that's all that matters. The team's going to be awesome. Speaking of a six foot nine wing, uh, another storyline is Zaire Williams and the seeming, uh, I don't know what, his rehab on that injury looked like. I don't know what they injected him with, uh, but post-injury, he's been a completely different player. Both, I think it looks like confidence-wise, but also just the the um, the impact on both ends has been uh, a positive. Whereas he was, I think, part of the reason why the Grizzlies defense was playing uh, so poorly at the beginning of the season, For the minutes sure. that he was getting, and he's taken this 180. Which I mean, I, I think I think this trade deadline, which we'll get to in just a few minutes, now seems to take a different shape, almost exclusively based on the hope that we have that Zaire Williams can be that big wing of the future or mm-hmm. one of the two. What have you thought about his play uh, recently in in this season? Yeah, I think so. When they drafted him, I think a lot of people were underwhelmed, like in Memphis and Memphis Grizzlies fans abroad. And I was kind of like, you know, I don't have a take about whether this guy's going to be good or not. I know he's going to be a project, but this is the right type of guy they're going after. They need the big wings. This is a clear need. Let's see what happens. Um, and it, he has been better on defense than I thought. Um, he would be, he, he just talking about like how Jaron will jump second and use his length. He already knows when to do that. When he gets, they use him a lot on smaller, on smaller guards. And he just kind of, he doesn't stay in front of them so much as he knows how to stay big and make them and bother their shots. He doesn't get into, he doesn't leave them a lot to aim at as far as like foul drawing and stuff. And he knows when to just there. He often, if you, if you, if he's on the court and you see him backpedaling, there's a lot of times he backpedals with both arms in the air. And for, you know, if he's switched on to a six foot two guard, especially if that guy is like, you know, can't really jump out of the gym, 
finishing over a six foot nine guy with two arms in the air, no matter how, if you have your shoulder around him or not, that's pretty hard to do. And he's athletic enough to kind of move around. The other thing I've been impressed with is just his touch in general. He, he doesn't have a great dribble. He is clearly, he has to really load. Um, he has to load up into a move. Um, but he has a really, really good touch from just about everywhere. Um, it, that doesn't mean like his shot goes in as often as it needs to, but I think like he has a diverse, he can get to his jumper and a floater a bunch of different ways. And as long as he's comfortable rising, like his jumper looks good and it's repeatable and it doesn't look wonky. Um, and so I, I kind of see him getting into this three and D role and maybe he has a little bit more down the road, but I, I think his three and D is like projectable from here, which is like, like for us to get that in his rookie year, it doesn't mean he's going to get there, but it's more than I thought he would get. We'd, we'd get this early on. Yeah. It's, it's been such an encouragement. Uh, Okay, I want to move now into, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because I think this could be an entire podcast. But you had a you had a a piece the other, I guess it was a few weeks ago, uh, ranking the Grizzlies assets, mm. and I guess I want to mainly I'll quickly run through what your rankings were, and then I want to ask you at the end of this if you have any changes that you would make after about a, another month of data here. To pull from so your honorable mentions and you did the top 12 your honorable mentions were uh xavier tillman and kyle anderson uh you you had the uh, sort of tiers so the tier that you titled filler that would be brandon clark the utah first next year the memphis first next year and then melton you had marginal upside tier which was zaire williams and then the la uh next year's first you had high upside which was dylan cap space the Golden State 2024 first, and then Desmond Bain. And then you, rounding it out, you had nearly untouchable was Jaron Jackson, and then untouchable was Ja. Are there any adjustments that you would make to your rankings mm. here here after about a month or so since you wrote it? So, not, not really. I would, hmm, interesting question. So, like, it's debatable what you would want, whether it's like Clark. I don't think I have any movement within tiers. And even I say that even though I just went waxed on about Zaire, I think people, I think I don't want to be too prisoner of the moment here because like Dylan would be the one. Well, cap space is kind of like everybody asks me the question why do you keep putting cap space in there? Why do you keep putting cap that's, space in there? That's where I was going with this, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you so, brought it up. So, Mostly it's because that like, let's, let's not forget they have the Lakers pick because of the cap space. Okay. Um, from last year. So I had been putting that in there because this is just in, in it, you know, you don't always sign a guy. Sometimes you have to take on like an Eric Bledsoe, an Eric Bledsoe contract uh, or a Steven Adams contract. And that's how they got the Lakers pick. And that's how they moved up to 10. So that flexibility, even though they traded Jonas in that deal, that deal doesn't happen in the same form without that cap space. They're in a similar position next summer where they eventually have to make a big trade. And that trade, if it happens in the summer, is probably going to be unbalanced. It's probably going to take some form of 
like you take on 25 million and you're sending 18 out or 16 out and they wouldn't be able to do that as easily if they were over the cap so you know the cap space thing in there is kind of like it's not worth it on its own but if this team was already capped out they would have so much less flexibility that it was you know um their their windows would be shut so it's it's like like let's get back to this in a year and the cap space deal would be it would be off the board but it's sort of like a placeholder to say like yeah this might not turn into anything but in the 15 percent chance that they do swing a massive trade that cap space is going to be integral in it so it has to be high um because in these rankings i'm 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 ranking upside above all other stuff. So that's why the, the Golden State pick is up there too, because yeah, it you know, 75% of the time it's, you know, maybe outside the lottery or in the twenties. But that twenty-five percent time when, you know, like Steph Curry ages faster, or you know, maybe he has an injury, the one, you know, in twenty twenty-four when that pick conveys, that's gonna be a top ten pick. And so it has to be that high because that's going to, you know, the upside is there. Um, but be, so did I answer that question? Yeah. Like, well, because it, it's a debate whether cap space should be there, but it's more of like, if they use it, it's going to be for something good. Does that right. Make sense? Yeah. And I think the other part I wanted to note too, is it cap space relative to the market because there is not a lot of cap space out there next season. Good point. Granted, or, I mean, and the other to add to that, uh, the teams that do have cap space are in a big rebuild right now. You, you see Detroit is one of the teams that has a lot. Orlando mm-hmm. has a mm-hmm. lot. San Antonio, you there's an argument to be made that they should rebuild. Um, whether they do or not, we'll see. But I think Memphis having cap space relative to the market is is I would agree having that in Memphis cap space in the high upside tier. I would agree with you. I think the other one to keep an eye on actually could end up being the Utah 2022 first. I think we're too far into the season for that to drop too much, but Mm -hmm. I think Donovan Mitchell, I I saw a notification that he might be coming back tonight. Um, But just that is another one to keep an eye on because they've recently been in free fall. And I think that, I've been so used to throwing. Let's. I've been on the trade machine throwing, you know, the LA <laughs> or the Utah first um, into so many deals, thinking that would be the worst pick out of the three. Mm-hmm. But I keep forgetting our pick is actually going to end up being way worse. I think out of the three of the mm-hmm. LA, Utah, Memphis. So anyway, just something to note that I was laughing at myself earlier this week about. Um, okay, so moving from that discussion into the trade deadline high level objectives what would you say as of right now would be your outlook as if you were in the front office or just you as an an analyst going into this trade deadline mm-hmm. with all of that context that we just discussed what it, what would be your high level objective here so in a perfect world i would i would only make i mean this is what he, Kleinman's only going to make a move from a position of strength because like the team is good and it would take a really big offer that you, you think has a, like a high chance of being in your favor or, or vaulting your team to upset the apple cart. I mean, 
because a lot of times when people do trade machine stuff, they say, well, we're this good now, but if we just get this one piece, mm. we'll take our good that we have right now and we'll add that to it. And in real life, like if you're taking, if you're doing a big piece trade or anything that, that upsets your top eight, like it isn't, it isn't additive. There's a trade-off where you're going to take roll and minutes from other guys and you're changing the mix. So it isn't just simply, you know, even if they were to just trade Jarrett Culver's contract and a first for a guy who is a top eight player, I don't know who that would be, but just like hypothetically, you know, you're going to lose something from Melton or Brandon Clark or maybe even Dylan if you try to, you know, cut his minutes or shots. Like, you know, these guys, this is a delicate, every team is a delicate balance. And especially this team, if you look at it, none of these guys have had their roles changed that drastically. You know, they, this has kind of been the same pecking order for several years. And they've just kind of quietly moved these guys like in the off season Jonas left, but they replaced them with a center who just essentially took fewer shots, but kind of still plays the same amount of minutes. And so, you know, it's just, I guess, I guess my number one thing would, I'm not going to do anything that isn't, doesn't have a high uh, success rate. The other thing I'd like to do in a perfect world is I would like to do a deal that shifted a 2022 first. And I'm not exactly sure how to do this. Shifted the 2022 first into a later draft. Something like, like I've been toying around with um, like trades that maybe you you send out um, D'Anthony Melton and a first and you get back like a 2023 first or maybe you do it with Culver and you get like a higher upside 2023 first. I don't want necessarily, they're not going to draft, they're probably not going to draft three players next summer and bring them all into the roster. So moving one of those trade shifts into the future would be advantageous. And it also kind of takes the arrow out of the quiver of if you want to move up in the, in, in the draft and the team is like, like, let's say the, the Lakers pick is 15 and you know, your other two picks are 25 and 22. It takes the arrow out of the quiver of like the 10th team, the team with the 10th pick saying, well, I want all three of those picks. Mm. Well, no, you can't have all three. You can have, the two that are in this draft or whatever. So I would like to ideally, and I don't know what it's probably two trades, you know, one trade trading away a first and a player, and then another trade bringing the the pick back in or something. I, it's a convoluted, it's not an easy thing, but you don't want three picks in one draft. You really don't. Um, and then, I mean, you sniff around at the big stuff. I, I kind of, in, in an article, I described it as a barbell strategy where you look at a lot of little stuff, and you look at a lot of big stuff and you don't really you don't really mess in the middle where it's like, oh, I'm going to make my ninth man like. Twenty five percent better or something like that doesn't in the playoffs, that doesn't really figure in too much. Um, so that's like an kind of like the overarching big theory I have. But um, and then and then secondarily to that, it's it. Can you get value out of I wrote about Melton today? Cause I kind of feel like he's going to be squeezed in the playoffs similar to how he was squeezed last year. And for, for minutes, I mean, and, uh, and I wonder if, can you trade for trade him now for a future first or some kind of like value 
that that may be in the future you can't because he's a year closer to the end of his contract and teams have kind of seen oh this is two years now in the playoffs where you know and again you don't have to do anything but that's kind of another thought I had yeah side note I I really do think that's what's going to happen to OKC with all their picks is just since Mm -hmm. they have them they're going to be demanded by other teams in a trade if they didn't have them then the deal still might get done but I just think that it's going to be inflation in that way and I think that's I like the way you put it taking the arrow out of the quiver um the other point that we had on on a pod recently, we were making the argument for doing nothing. Um, yeah. And one of the points that we had was, what would have happened if we were to shake something up last year? Or I guess the other point was not if we were to shake something up, but more more about how informative the playoffs can be. I mean, would we mm-hmm. all think about Dylan Brooks the same way if Memphis were to have missed the play, you know, lost to Golden State or lost to the Spurs in the play-in, and we didn't have that Utah series to see what Dylan could do. Um, mm-hmm. In the same vein, Melton was, I think, a big loser of the playoffs because he's a guy that needs a lot of minutes, I feel like, to kind of work into his game. And he didn't have a lot in the playoffs. And you saw, you know, he just wasn't, he didn't appear ready for the moment. He didn't play well. Um, and like you said, he could be a guy that gets squeezed. Well, I think that we could move into the talking about this barbell approach. I want to, um, Let's start actually in the middle, uh, because right now, I would say more than any other uh, discussion regarding Grizzlies trades, we're seeing those moves, let's say, for uh, Harrison Barnes or Eric Gordon, Robert Covington, guys like that, who I guess there's an argument to be made that they could be a little bit better than the guys in the middle, uh, Miles Turner is probably the most popular one. Uh, we've we've discussed it here. Um, what are your what are your thoughts in terms of those players, those deals? And I have a feeling I know what you're going to say about it. But just kind of give us your argument for for not not exploring deals of that nature. Well, like I would do. There are Miles Turner deals that I think are just so in your favor that you should do. Um, but like Miles Turner is interesting because like he doesn't rebound and he does need the ball a little bit more than, uh, Steven Adams does. And it just changes the mix a little bit. And I'm, I'm, I wouldn't, I would need it to be like a slam dunk. Um, I don't know. Do you listen to the dunked on podcast at all? Yes. Yep. Okay. I, I listened so, to the mock trade deadline recently. Yeah. Um, so the mock trade deadline one, they traded Steven Adams, no, they didn't. They traded Jarek Culver and Kyle Anderson right. and two first round picks mm-hmm. and maybe a second round pick for, yeah. for, for Miles Turner. And I was like, I like, like, just stop, just stop what you're doing. Do less, you know, it's <laughs> like, just, just chill out for a second. But, uh, it like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that deal. And I like Miles Turner and I think he would have improved the team, but like, if we can send out Miles Turner, if we can send out Steven Adams and a single first, and maybe D'Anthony Melton and get back Miles Turner and let's say like Jeremy Lamb or some some other guy. Uh, I mean, I like Jeremy Lamb. I think he's pretty good. Um, but a guy that like is a peripheral player and doesn't like change your salary structure that much. Like that's a deal I would do. I might even throw two firsts in there, but it's just, you know, and that's assuming Turner's healthy. But it's like it's got to be a deal that like I'm not chasing those deals. 
I'm definitely not like trying to get Robert Covington in here for Jarrett Culver and Tillman in a first round pick. Like that's, that's not, that's not something I'm interested at all. And like Eric Gordon makes a ton of money and takes, takes that, that flexibility from the summer off the table. Cause he's got like more than another year left on his contract. Um, I'm definitely not giving up an asset to get Eric Gordon. Not with, not with his contract and not what it does to like your future flexibility to like actually, cause like, cause the deal is again, the whole game is getting two big ass wings to go with these three other guys you have. And I'm not really interested in doing any trade that uses an asset that doesn't get you closer to that mark. So Miles Turner is pretty close. Like he, he plays similar to a wing and you can at least kind of sketch out the idea of, um, of that template. Uh, and, and you could argue that I'm too married to that template, but I just think you get to, you get to that point and you are a really, really good team for a, for a long time. Um, but that's sort of like my overarching theory is I just don't want to do a trade that sends out assets that does not get me closer to that template. And that template is like, you're trading for either a star or you're trading for a chance at like, you know, at, at a guy who's going to significantly improve and is like a pre star. Like I, I think miles bridges is in that category. Miles bridges is an interesting name. Uh, I think he's a guy. So the, the, he, he's sort of in the middle, I would say, of this home run swing versus incremental move. I mean, I know that he's going to demand a lot uh, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, his next contract. I just think that he's, I mean, he's earned it, too. Yeah. He's shown that he could be that guy. I'm wary a little bit of the number attached to him based on mm. the fact that he has, this is his first season to show us this. Um, mm-hmm. So, But I do agree with you that he is the, the type that we should be going after. What did you think about the? Did you happen to listen to the uh, the Hollinger and Duncan Duncan where they mentioned the Pascal Siakam deal? Yeah, that like blew my mind. So I had to like, you know, take a drink of water and like really think about, <laughs> look out at the at the trees and just kind of think for a while. I think I ultimately would do something along that. I mean, I I thought it was closer to fair, but that Masai wouldn't do it because he's really, really good at his job and just isn't, he's like climate. He's not going to do anything that he doesn't think is way in his favor. Um, or, you know, achieves enough of his goals to make it worthwhile. I don't think, I just looked at the Toronto team, you know, you trade them a bunch of like, the first are good, but they're not like high, high upside first. Uh, I mean, even myself, I, I put them in as filler and I think the Lakers pick was like the marginal upside. Masai's not trading a, all-star for a bunch of marginal upside and, and low upside picks. Like he's going to sit and ask for Bane and you're just going to say no. And then that's kind of it, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I, I, I think that team would be so nasty. Like Bane or Bane, Ja, Dylan, and then Jared and Siakam. Like I just, I do, I do worry a little bit. I was talking to somebody on Twitter about this who lives in Canada and I was like, is it just me or is Siakam just a little too spastic isn't the, isn't the right word, mm. but just frenetic. He, he, he demands the ball and he, it goes in and like, he gets to the basket, but 
I just worry that he would you know, like upsetting the apple cart. Is his role too too big to to bring in and just like assume it's going to be additive? Like what what are we not noticing that he's going to take away that he will take away? I had a had a little bit of doubt there, and then his contract is just so so massive too. Um, but I, I I I had to like really think about that one. I, you know, it was interesting. Yeah, I just I saw a tweet which was really funny, and it was that John Hollinger's always trying to trade Pascal Siakam because apparently he picked Wade Baldwin right right before him in the draft, <laughs> or, or pretty near to it. So I yeah. I thought that was I got a kick out of that one. Uh, what do you think about T.J. Warren? Because in this Miles Turner trade mm-hmm. machine mm-hmm. Uh, stuff that I was just looking through, I mean T.J. Warren is a guy that I think people forget about and. He doesn't. He's right in between. He's not a six nine wig wing. He's uh he's a little shorter, but I mean he could provide that a uh, scoring boost. He could upgrade a couple of you know he's a rotation guy and and has shown last last year especially or I guess it was a little bit more than last year in the bubble uh what he could do. Um he's a bucket when he when he's on. What do you think about that in terms of a a deal that could package together a little bit more to get. And that I'm returning back to Turner, but I had it written down to ask yeah. you because I was interested in what you thought about Warren. No, I, I mean, I've wanted him on the Grizzlies for a very long, like for years, several years. And healthy TJ Warren is like the guy you clear the cap space for and you offer the max contract to, like healthy TJ Warren, because mm-hmm. he fits in perfectly. He's good at the rim. He's good at three. He defends enough. He rebounds a little bit like he does everything and is you know projectable as like you said he's a little bit shorter but you put him into that spot next to kyle and he he ages out right when zaire becomes like ready like that's tj warren is perfect but you know there's this little problem called he's never he's never healthy he's 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 not healthy right now and we don't know why it's i mean similar to turner but less so uh, with Turner because he's been uh, apparently he's expected back around the beginning of March but like TJ Warren hasn't played in a year and that can be concerning when you don't play basketball for a whole year and we don't really know you've had several surgeries we don't know exactly so like you know he clearly isn't going to come back and be the same but I do think um, I do think his game is assuming like even if he comes back at like 75% health wise, I think his game is projectable enough to where I would want him as a rotation piece. And I've been throwing him into yeah, miles Turner and TJ Warren trades, bring me both. I'll send you back the Anthony Milton and Steven Adams. And we can talk about two first round picks. Cause I just having his bird rights is exactly valuable. That's yeah. what I was going to say. And two, I think he could be due to the injury concern. You could even get him on a team friendly deal. Uh, yeah. long term. I I I I love TJ Warren too. Yeah, he's 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 the perfect player. It's just you don't. And also, I don't know if you've um you've heard this, but I know Dun- Nate Duncan had on um the I listened to his preview with the Indiana uh, Pacers reporter, and that guy knows Turner or uh, Warren really well. And Warren is apparently a guy who doesn't want the limelight. 
and just is a quiet guy. He doesn't like the media. He's, he's a small market player. Mm. And so I don't know how that works with John Morant and like his kind of in your face, you know, style, but like, you know, he's a Memphis. I think he would fit well in the Memphis. Like, I don't think he would be wanting to go to LA like the second he got here. I think he would like, like the fact that he can get off the airplane and like go around town and, you know, he isn't going to be bothered too much. You know, I think that's, he would like it. That's super interesting. I did not, I did not listen to that one, but now I kind of yeah. want to go back and hear what he had to say. Um, okay. I've been, I've been toying around with Boston trades a little bit and everybody of course is going to, when, when I say Boston, everybody's mind goes to Jalen Brown. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, mm. But I have, they're one of the teams that I've been looking at what it could, what, what a trade would be to, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, trade one of our first in this upcoming draft for one in the in the next draft or down the line, a future draft. And so I think that they could really use a guy like Kyle. I think that they could use a guy yeah. like Melton. I was playing around with Josh Richardson trades. Uh, what do you, have you looked at Boston at all? Do you? I also like Peyton Pritchard a whole lot. I think he could provide mm-hmm. some Tyus Jones insurance uh, because he's he has a three-year deal that he's still on, uh, very cost-controlled. What do you think about anything having to do with Boston? Have you, have, you, have you tried anything in terms of trades with them? I haven't, um, but Kyle makes sense for them. You know, Kyle, Jalen, and Tatum – and Robert, I mean, that would be a nap. That would be awesome defensive team. Um, and Kyle would give them, I mean, they don't have any passers. So Kyle would instantly come in and be the best passer on the team. Um, him and I guess Horford, Kyle's better than Horford yeah. passing wise. Like he would, he would fit and they would resign him. And I guess, I guess at that point I'm, I'm getting a first round pick from them because right. I don't, Josh Richardson is, is not good. And no, I'm taking on his next year's contract. Exactly. Too. You're clearing their books so, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the tax implications would be for them. Like if they could, we might have to take another of their um, contracts that, that's guaranteed for next year. So they have enough room to sign Kyle. Um, because I don't know what Kyle wants on his next, like I've talked about this on other pods, but the Grizzlies have 100% talk to Kyle and Tyus about what the extension number is. Like, wh- what do they, what do you guys need for your next contract? And so the team knows, like, if Kyle is asking for, hey, just give me, like, a little raise off of what I'm making, like, an $11 million deal for Kyle going forward, something like that, like, I'm interested in that. But if he wants $15, 16000000 million, then I'm trading him. Uh, I mean, especially, I mean, I'm assuming he wants, like, a three- or four-year deal. So, you know, 15 16 million over three years like that's i'm not interested in that and i i want to trade him at that point so that's another thing that the team that trades for him is going to want to know like if boston boston's only going to make that trade probably if they can re-sign kyle and only if they can re-sign him for something they think is reasonable um because they have their own they have their own tax issues um it's not bad. I, I like that. And, and, and it kind of clears you up. Like maybe Richardson goes to a third team sure. and you use one of your first or two of your first even to then bring in 
like that's kind of the balancing act that I see. It starts like that that wave. Yeah, I, that's that's sort of what I was thinking. I, I'm 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 very intrigued now with the the bridges idea. Um, like I'm, I threw out this was before Zaire. This was when like Zaire was just coming back and and he hadn't been lighting the world on fire as much as he has been. Like I try not to be prisoner of the moment of this, but I DM somebody and I was like. I think this this was after one of their I think this was after like the Brooklyn win um, when they just housed Brooklyn. And I was like, all right, Zaire and all three firsts for Miles Bridges, <laughs> because like you're not <laughs> it's ludicrous. It's an overpay. But right. You are not getting Miles Bridges unless unless you overpay. Right. And to me, this is a like a more of a um, I'm acknowledging it's an overpay because it's just I think. I have zero doubts that Bridges would come in and slot into the area that Kyle Anderson plays in and Zaire plays in, and he would like immediately slot in and everything would be fine. Like I don't I don't have any usage issues. He brings the right skill set. He does a little bit of everything. He can shoot. So you have another shooter alongside. Like you basically will always have a shooter when Brandon Clark is on the four, which is huge because they don't the, the big thing that Memphis lacks is shooting from the four or five position, really from the front court when J- Jaron's out. When Jaron is out, they have no spacing, um, even with Bain on there. So getting a forward sized guy who can knock down threes, um, Zaire excluded, is like the pressing need because once you have that, you can you can like the floor is just open for Clark in a way where right now you kind of need to play Jaron and Clark together. Yeah. Okay. We'll get you out of here on this one. Um, what, what results from this trade deadline would shock you from the Grizzlies? Who? Um, shock me. So, I mean, obviously they're not trading any of their top three guys. Um, Josh Aaron Bain. So like taking that off the floor, I don't know. Um, I would be, I guess I would be pretty surprised if they, if they pulled, I mean, if they made like a huge deal for, like if they traded for Bradley Beal, obviously we would all be surprised. I'm just thinking shocked. It means to me, like, I, I can't believe they did this because this is out of character for the front office. So I don't know if a consolidation trade counts because we're kind of all waiting for it. So if it happened early, like I think if it happened the, this trade deadline, it'd be if they traded for Ben Simmons, that would shock me. Because, <laughs> That's a good one. Because Ben Simmons is just the wrong. Like everybody wants to trade for Ben Simmons because he fits with Jaron, but zoom out and like Ben Simmons and Jaw is not like the best fit. Preach. <laughs> ben Simmons doesn't like be doing the big man stuff. Like he doesn't like setting picks. You can try to make him the the power forward or center as much as you want. It's not like he has not shown the willingness to do that. Maybe he would be a completely different player, but I'm just not, I'm not trading with Philly. I think the Ben Simmons trade would shock me. It would legitimately shock me. Yeah. That's um, a, that's, that's, that's probably my answer. What, what about you? What do you think would shock you? Yeah. I, I like the way that you put it. It's funny because in the, in the previous, uh, I guess, regime of the Grizzlies, I front office, I, was never shocked by anything in the worst way because <laughs> yeah. you always expected the worst. I think something 
out of character where you are looking at an overpay right now for mm-hmm. a guy who does not obviously warrant an overpay would shock me. Um, something yeah. like the a Turner trade with multiple firsts going out. You know, mm-hmm. like that type of deal would shock me. I think staying conservative because mainly Kleiman has shown he has never not traded up for a draft pick besides John Morant. Never. Yeah. So I think I think he loves operating in the summer. Um and I would just I, I don't expect something huge here. So uh but yeah, like you said, it's something out of character and we've come to we've come to expect um this front office especially to um squeeze every bit of juice out of every asset they have. So you know, you mentioned I have to take a Mia culpa on one. The the one trade that I thought was just it was so I thought it was just a bad trade was when they traded Gasol. Mm. They got they got Valanciunas, they got Miles, they got CJ Miles and Delon Wright. That's right. And and I was looking at it. I, I think I tweeted after that, like I root for one of the dumb teams. <laughs> 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 and I was wrong. I mean, and they got a second round pick. And I was just like, I can't believe like it, you know, so they got out of that by they got somebody, they traded CJ Miles for Dwight Howard the next summer. Oh, and they yes. shaved like two million dollars off. And then they bought out Dwight Howard. And they ended up like instead of CJ Miles seven eight million dollars like dead salary. Um, thank you, Washington Wizards. You took them off yes. our hands. We got Dwight Howard. We bought him out for like half of his. So we turned eight million into like three. And which was, I mean, I don't know if you remember this. We were up against the tax line. Yes. And I was like, we have no flexibility. Why did we do this? This makes no sense. Well, they got out of the CJ Miles thing. They they did concurrent to that. They traded for Avery Bradley. I was like, why are we doing this? Well, they got a trade exception out of that that I didn't realize. So, like, that was that was a great deadline for them. And they didn't even, like, get much value out of it. But they ended up chopping up these big contracts into smaller ones. Jonas was way better than I thought he was too. That was the other thing. So, you know, that was the last time I was legitimately shocked in a bad way about, about a Grizzlies trade. And it was that, you know, right around that transition time where maybe Kleiman was starting to have a bigger hand in it. Well, I maybe we'll never know who actually was pulling the strings during then, but that was one where I was like, not only was I shocked and I couldn't believe they did that deal. I was happy for Mark, but I was also like dead wrong about, the value in there because they did all right. That's a good one. Well, Matt, this has been awesome. Um, we at the Grizzden pod literally have a drinking game where whenever your name is mentioned, we all have to take a drink. So it's, you're, you're very popular here. Very, very popular on this podcast. We love all of your writing. We look forward to seeing what you uh, have to say after the trade deadline. We'll see what the team does. I'm super intrigued. Uh, it's never been better to be a Grizzlies fan. Uh, the team is just rolling right now, and it's it's never been more fun to talk about the Grizzlies. So thanks for joining the Grizzden Pod, Matt, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you next year, hopefully maybe even sooner, but we'll do this again next year for sure. Absolutely, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks.